This is the People in Their Work podcast. I am Professor Doug Gardner in the Student Leadership and Success Studies Department at Utah Valley University. In this podcast, you will hear the first-person stories of people journeying through their education, work, and career decision-making. In this episode of the People in Their Work podcast, we will hear a more detailed description of how Levi's pursuit of the chaplaincy came about. When you get a, a rejection, like what happened with us, uh, I didn't get the job as a full-time seminary teacher, you feel this momentum stop. It's just this crash. You and, literally feel a brick wall. Oh, it's, and, oh. and we both felt it because I had stayed at BYU, I have continued working in the student position that I had almost the whole four years that I was at BYU. They hired me on after I graduated. Mm-hmm. And it was a good job in that it taught me certain skills that are extremely valuable, but I did not like it. It was a job, not a career. Right. And it, it just was draining physically and emotionally. Yeah. And I had held on to him becoming a seminary teacher and us moving on as my way out of that. It was a temporary, I will work here to support him through this part. We'll move on. And, then, and I, it's something that needs to be said with the, the seminary teaching. When you get hired on, you are guaranteed a position. And then after two to three years of teaching, you are guaranteed a career. As long as you don't go off the rails and go completely against the, the church itself you will have a career for as long as you want. So that of what you felt dependent on getting away from this dead-end job that was painful. Right. Like the benefit to that job was I saw people all the time all oh, yeah. over campus, including the professors that mentored him as a seminary teacher. That's the downside of it too. I was in a spot where I was very upset when he got the no. I was angry, and I was angry at a lot of people and and God and yeah. One day I was walking over to the guest house on campus and I was preparing something for it. And one of his mentors got out of their car as I was walking across the across the parking lot. And I was still kind of bitter and upset and it, it was still fairly fresh. And he said, hi, Amber. And I was just like, oh, hi, how are you? And I didn't know how to approach it because there was still like... It's your fault. It's not his fault. No. But it, who else was I going to direct those feelings towards? But it was a beneficial experience because it actually helped me resolve it because he, he expressed a lot of the things that I felt of, I'm sorry it didn't work out. I'm sorry that we had to tell him no. He's so talented. He's such a good teacher. But we're so excited to see what he does in the future. We know that whatever he's supposed to do, he will be great at. It's too bad it's not seminary. But it, it, it's going to be perfect, whatever it is. Yeah. And so that was kind of a turning point for me into figuring out, okay, whatever the next step is, it's going to be bigger, it's going to be better. And so when you hit failure, you hit that brick wall, that's the kind of moment that gets the momentum moving, but in a different direction. So in high school, um, one of the things that I, I did with a couple of friends is that we would push cars, you know, as, as training because, you know, we thought we were big tough and it looked really, really cool. You look stupid. But what happens is that you start to learn, OK, if I keep the momentum going, things go really well and, and this isn't that hard. 
But as soon as you stop, it takes so much effort to get started again. We were in a spot of it was really hard to oh, get yeah. started again. Oh. <laughs> and I was getting desperate because I knew that it was important to give him time to grieve. Mm -hmm. But at some point, I needed him to get off the couch and do something. Yeah, and so I went and got a job just to, to be able to make things work for us. And definitely not a career path, but it was it was a means to an end. It was working at Takano's. No, this one was oh. at Food to Go. Oh, this was at Food to Go. Yeah, so this was working at BYU doing food service. I had history in that. Before this, I had worked at uh, a local Brazilian grill, Takano's, for it's probably about four years up to that right. point. Um, and it was it was just to make things happen. We went to the the military lecture, and it kind of that was one of the big momentum shifts. Right. And then it wasn't just going to the lecture, but it was acting on the thoughts. Right. And it, it takes effort, and it takes making yourself vulnerable again, because getting ready for medical school, so much energy, and then being rejected from on high from doing that. And then again with seminary, being rejected again. And it's really, you just want to throw your hands up and be like, okay, I'm done. I'm just going to work food service. I'm just going to do this blah job that I don't have a passion in. I know some people who do. I admire them for it. It's just not my, my thing. As he met with the recruiter and started onto this path of chaplaincy, I was working events for BYU mm -hmm. Catering. The commandant of the Army Chaplain School was on campus to lecture the chaplain program, but we had no oh, knowledge of this until that day. I fed him breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and then breakfast again. So in a two-day period, I saw him for like every meal. Kind of started asking like, oh, why are you on campus? What? And then at the lunch, it was a lecture series for the chaplain program. And I knew one of the students in the program from our bachelor education. I mentioned to the coordinator of the program at the time, like, oh, my husband just found out about chaplaincy. He's kind of interested in learning more. And he said, well, if you can get your husband here in 30 minutes, he can come into the room and listen. He said, yeah, we'll have a, a chair in the back of the room. He'll be able to sit down, get a feel for it, know what's going on. So I said, great. I got my phone out and I called him and I said, get your butt here. So <laughs> like, I got ready real quick, threw on something as, as nice as I could do at the time and took off, got there a little bit before the meal and everything was starting. Uh, and it's, it's really tough because you have this tight-knit group and you're this weird outsider who has no idea what's going on so you start talking it takes effort it takes putting yourself in a really weird situation and you're sitting there you shake hand i shook hands with with the coordinators talked with them a little bit and they're like okay we've got a chair there for you turns out we get start getting ready to eat and one of them so he's he's a retired colonel from the army that's one step beneath being a general he's a big deal He's sitting at a table, and I still remember this. I'm in the back of the room. I see him pretty much just right in front of me. And I'm sitting there trying to be respectful, just looking around. And he leans back out of his, his chair, makes eye contact with me, and then does the whole, like, one finger, you know, motioning, hey, come here. And I'm, me? He's like, yeah, of course you <laughs> You're the only one back there. So, okay. So I go up there and I talk to him. Before I get there, he, he takes the one finger, and he's, you know, pointing, or calling, you know, come come over here. And then he points down at the chair just in front of him. It's like, really? It's like, yeah. Okay. So I sit down and I'm sitting there like, am I supposed to eat here too? This is, I was supposed to be in the back of the room. I wasn't supposed to be at a table. I wasn't supposed to be eating. I wasn't supposed to be doing any of this. 
and it's nice food. This is really nice food. And I'm sitting there, should I do this? And he looks at me, he's like, what do you do? Eat. So it goes from just being a chair in the room to sitting at a table and then start talking with everyone and finding out I happen to sit next to a guy who literally is only two years ahead of me of exactly what I want to be doing. Going in, working as a chaplain with the Navy. It's it's one of those, you sit there. So we had Navy, we had Army, two Air Force, uh, another Army, and then the, the program co-director. And I'm sitting there like, how? It just all fell together. So I get to know them, talk with them, just developing a friendship. Figuring out, okay, you know, this is what I need to do to be able to apply for the program, all this kind of stuff. And this was either end of June, beginning of July. Everything is due very beginning of December. Mm-hmm. So we start working on everything, series of interviews, all these kind of things. Everything just kind of falls into place, starts working. I quit the job working at BYU, go back to the restaurant so I have some flexibility. Everything seems to be working out. So there was that amazing experience with that luncheon, getting the firsthand experience. Okay, this is how you want to do it. This is how you want to apply. And it's always good to figure out from people who are in the program how to get into the program. Right, and... Because I knew one of the guys in the program, we were able to get a better idea of what oh, yeah. the, what it meant, how time intensive it would be, what kind of what to expect for the next two years if he did get in. And I, I sent my uh, application essays and everything through him. He's like, yeah, everything looks good. I think you're a strong candidate. Uh, I go in, I think there were seven people, yeah. and they were taking three. Um so sit down, interview was amazing. It was awesome. Everything's going super, super well. Uh, they say, okay, beginning of January or February? Beginning, mid-January. Yeah, mid-January you should hear something. We didn't hear anything until almost February. Okay. And we get this letter. It's like, um, dear Levi, thank you so much for your interest in the program. We're really excited. Uh, but <laughs> you just, you hear that. You hear that again. And it is so demoralizing. And it, it was a, we're, we're grateful for your application. We don't have a spot for you this year. The next paragraph, so there was the rejection, oh, yeah. the like and hard the, and fast rejection. Yeah, the standard rejection that everyone just kind of sees as a cliche. And then the next paragraph was, we want you to call this person. Yeah, in your interview, you said if you didn't make it this year, you would want to apply again next year. We want you to call this person and we want you to set up an opportunity to get the experience that you're lacking so you can be a stronger candidate for next year. And that is not part of the typical rejection letter. And so... We did it. We did it. It took another moving forward. There was that brick wall, but luckily this one wasn't really real brick. It was a speed bump. It It was was a speed bump. So we start doing that. We start setting up several other things in life. Um, we and start moving forward like it's yeah, going to happen. We absolutely. took out life insurance policy. We, we just started planning oh, yeah. like he was going to get into the military. This was going to work out. And so we're thinking, okay, this time next year, we're going to be so happy. We're moving forward. Everything is going to be working out. About a month later, I'm working in the restaurant, and I can feel my phone going crazy. Like, just call every other second. I'm just saying, oh, my gosh, I can't answer my phone. I'm working. And then... At the front desk of the restaurant, Amber's calling them. They come running back and like, hey, you need to answer your phone because your wife is driving us crazy. She's driving me crazy too. I can't talk. <laughs> and so I talk to the manager. They're like, hey, I've got this phone call coming in. Can I take it? They're like, yeah, of course. So I go outside. I take the phone call. And she's like, pick up your phone. 
I'm trying. She's like, no, I'm sorry, not right now. You're going to get a call. I need you to pick it up. Just say yes. Boom. She hangs up. I get a phone call. It's from one of the other, it's from the other co-director phone. Not the one who was pointing at me during the luncheon, but another one. And he said, hey, um, this is so-and-so from the program. Are you still in? Yes. It, he doesn't even get out the full, full question. It's like, yes, I'm in. Are you sure? Do you want to talk with your wife? We've talked about it. Right. We're in. And it, it's one of those like, oh, glorious moments. Every door keeps on getting shut. Brick walls, speed bumps, everything goes wrong. And then things start going right. In February, he finds out that he actually did get into the program. Yep. And then... So one person had gone ahead, but life changed. They didn't go in. I was the first alternate. Started moving forward. Classes started in June. Yeah. That's when it was buckle down time for me again of like, okay, I'm still in this job that I don't love. It's draining. It takes a toll on us because we don't have very much time together. We start this grueling master's program. Insane. That's, I mean, to give you an idea, most graduate students take nine credits a semester. He was taking 18. Yeah. So double the coursework of what a normal graduate student does. And it just was a lot going yeah. on for us. And she's working all the time. Yeah. I'm studying all the time. About a year into the program, it is so brutal. Just unreal on her, on me, on our relationship. And then uh, you were checking the BYU job postings. Right, because I was ready. I had promised oh, myself no. I was not working another football season at this job. And so this was July? This was in July. And football starts end of August. So yeah. there's about six, seven weeks there yeah. just to be like, okay, we got to find something. And so I had started looking for all sorts of jobs, started putting up by applying everywhere, saw a posting with the Army ROTC office, and I read the job description and said, I'm not 100% qualified, but I check a lot of these boxes, and there are things that I'm really, really good at to make up for the things that I, I don't know how to do. And I'm motivated because one of the first things that it talked about was learning military protocol. And I was like, well, I'm going to be a military spouse. I have to learn military protocol anyways, especially if he's a chaplain. So this is perfect. It'll just get me a jump start into the military life. I can, I can do this. I can see how it could benefit our future. Mm -hmm. And so I start, I called him and said, Hey, does Brother Theodore, one of the co-directors, know people in the ROTC office. And he's like, yeah, of course. Like, army guys on campus know each other. Oh, yeah. I was like, great. Can you get him to write me a letter of recommendation? <laughs> <laughs> Let me check. And so I talk with him about it. And he says, I would love to do that. And this is one of those things. If uh, maybe a little more advice to put on to it. Whatever you do, do your best. Because catering was never going to be a career for her, but she put everything she could into it, and it shows. It shows with the events she does. It shows with everything. And so there was no hesitation on this high-ranking, retired military officer to say, I would love to write a recommendation for her. She would be a great asset, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and when one who actually ranks higher um, than the one who is in charge of things says, take this person seriously, they take them seriously. I applied for the job and I went into the interview and 
I was nervous, as most people are, and I hadn't had to do an official job interview in a while. Like, it had been a couple of months. An amazing opportunity to work on the skills that it takes to interview well. And I kind of figured I wouldn't get it because I'm young and I'm inexperienced in certain parts of what was required. I had low expectations of myself at that point. A couple of days, like I send in a follow-up email after the interview saying, thank you for the opportunity, I really appreciate it. Kind of wait a few days and I get a phone call from the colonel in charge of the Army ROTC program and he's like, you know, we really enjoyed getting to know you. We're going to go with someone else for this position, but we have another position that's going to open up in a couple of months and I want you to be aware of it. I want you to apply for it. And I said, okay, great. Like, that's fine. And I just tried to stay positive about it because there was still hope. It was still tough because it's like, okay, in a couple months, but I'm in the middle of football season and that's going to be really tough. So that was another thing that was really weighing on you. Right. And so it goes on and I still kind of stay in contact with him about a few things. And he calls me up one day and he said, so I shouldn't have spoken too soon earlier, but we've decided to hire you instead. <laughs> and as some background information, their first choice, they had contacted some of the people that this individual worked with. And they said, uh, they're tough to work with. I, they're not always dependable. They don't have the greatest of attitudes. As opposed to people who worked with Amber that they contacted as references and they say, oh, she puts 110% of everything that she does. Well, and they didn't even, like, it wasn't references listed on my right. application it, or my resume. It, or coworkers even. It was people I had done events for on campus. Mm. Because the ROTC yeah. is part of the Marriott School. So I had done a lot of events for the Marriott School, and it was people who ordered those events and worked with me to get their vision executed, found out they were hiring me for this position, knew that I had applied, and said, she's the best. That's what swayed him into changing his mind. Yeah. But it was so funny, because when he called to offer me the position officially, like I knew that it was kind of happening. He's like, I need to put things into place, get an a number to offer you, all that kind of stuff. So he calls me and he's like, okay, you know, there's some slight weirdness here because the policies, I can't offer you what I really wanted to offer you, what we had discussed in the interview. So I understand if you need to take some time and talk to your husband about it, you can call me back in a few minutes. I said, no, I'm ready to give you an answer. And he's like, really? You don't want to talk to your husband? And I'm like, no, sir, we've already talked about it. We're 100% ready to, to move forward with this. Yeah. I when can I start? And that's something that has become a strength for us because you kind of see that twice now. Once where he can give someone the instant answer because we've already talked about it and we've already made the decision and knew if it was an opportunity, we would take it. Mm -hmm. And that's been really beneficial, especially through starting this new job for me and finishing the program for him because things have come up, opportunities have come up, and we've been ready to act because we're on the same page and we've learned how to be on the same page. I am Doug Gardner, and this has been the People in Their Work podcast. Music by Christopher Weiss. Images are from the UVU Roots of Knowledge stained glass exhibit by Holdman Studios.